we had this little theatre in our school and we put on little plays there and I just remember the feeling it's sort of similar to the feeling I, I still get this idea that there's a real communion between you and the audience Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema, the podcast from the British Independent Film Awards that is all about the defining cinema experiences of some of the finest filmmaking talent. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader, and in this show we like to curate the perfect night out at the pictures with our guests as they guide us through the films that have shaped their lives. Where is the ultimate cinema? What is the ultimate film? And most importantly, what's the ultimate cinema snack? We've had loads of great guests giving us their ideal cinematic scenarios like Lucifer's Tom Ellis, Loki's Wumi Masaku and Cruella's Emily Beecham. And today we've got yet another brilliant guest. Yes, for this episode we spoke to one of the most fascinating British character actors working today, Adil Akhtar. So I loved him in Four Lions. I mean, that film is kind of comedy genius and he is almost like cut above in that also i think i feel like adil pops up in pretty much everything he's in the big sick he plays lestrade in enola holmes (laughs) i really like that he's managed to work his way into these recognizable characters like in les mis he plays Thenardier. he also won a bafta for murdered by my father a few years ago he is one of the hardest working british actors right now and he has such an exciting year ahead of him so he's just had sweet Tooth premiere on Netflix, which he's starring in, which I'm keen to watch, having read the comic years ago because I'm a massive nerd. But also just looking at the credits that's coming out in the next year, he's providing his voice to Ardman's Robin Robin, the fuzzy felt stop motion animation. He's in Louis Wayne, uh, directed by Will Sharp. He's in Everybody's Talking About Jamie. He's also in Ali and Ava, the new film from Clio Barnard. So he's really got so much exciting stuff going on as you say Rihanna one of the hardest working people in showbiz and also crossing over between huge blockbusters really interesting tv work and also lovely amazing independent films as well I mean you could say Adil is the ideal guest for the show very nice very nice well we've procrastinated long enough let's bring him out here is Adil Akhtar So, Adil Akhtar, thank you so much for joining us today on This Is My Cinema. So, for the duration of this conversation, this is your cinema, and we have this dream fairy tale set up where you have a cinema of your choice for the evening to show us a film of your choice. You can subject us to anything. That's quite a responsibility. (laughs) So, what film comes to mind, and does a cinema come to mind? Oh, okay, so... Let me think if I really... Ah, so this is not planned. We're all on video here. So you saw this moment of me going ping. So you know from my facial reactions that (laughs) it actually entered my brain at that point. You could hear the cogs turning. So I I did a Netflix series that's out at the moment. And now that sounds like I'm plugging something. But this this is a detail of the story. And towards the end of the shoot, I didn't really have much time to explore New Zealand at all. And we went to the South Island and we found ourselves near this really beautiful, massive lake called Lake Wanaka. And there was a little town next to it. And to get to the town, you had to go past this museum of optical illusions. So it's a tiny little museum of optical I'm painting, a, trying to paint a picture and I might be rabbiting on just because it just entered my head at that moment. 
And in this uh, sidetrack, in the museum, it was all the history of optical illusions. Just strange for a little, little town in New Zealand. And we went through there, I was like, that's weird. And the cinema in this little town was so beautiful and small. And one of the seats was half a yellow taxi cab. And so that's where the kids would sit in the big taxi cab. And then the other was sort of more traditional seating, but with couches, but cobbled together with bits of car seat and two armchairs like stuck together. And I just remember that it was just like this oasis of nothing, nothing, nothing. And then like a weird illusion museum, this beautiful cinema. Yeah, so that's the cinema I would choose. It's just a strange little thing in the middle of nowhere. That's certainly the most idyllic choice we've had on the podcast so far. That sounds absolutely gorgeous. Do you have a, f- a film that comes to mind? It doesn't have to necessarily reflect the setting but the setting sounds perfect so i don't know if you find this with films but i find it really hard to have the films that you absolutely i mean there are films that you absolutely love of course but there's my mind just changes all the time with the one i what i think is the best the my sort of like favorite films and also i don't know loads about films i, I wish i knew a lot more but i know what i know and, and i came to it late but it's fear eats the soul which is a fassbender film and that opened up us to rabbit hole of the idea of performance. It opened up the idea of filmmaking. It opened up the idea of performances within performances. Like at what point are we really being our true selves? And that opened my eyes up to all that. So, I mean, I love films where you go to this sort of dark space and you're transported or made to think or you affirm something in your life that you already knew anyway. I, you know, I love all that. But I also love the idea that it opens up this whole world to you this sort of connective tissue of filmmakers that is like oh and then there's that and then there's this and then there's that and there's that so I'll say at the moment Fear Eats the Soul and also because it started a really lovely conversation with Clive Barnard we started chatting about this film and then started talking about other things and you know it was a starting point of a conversation Oh, I'm exhausted. I've talked for ages. <laughs> no, that's a really great pick. Yeah. And that's the great yeah. thing about this is that really it's just such a broad, open question. And really, we don't have any judgment. So it's always just such a delight, whatever comes out uh, as a suggestion. But that's that's hardcore. So you say that opened your eyes. I mean, that's not something... Were you watching that as a kid or was that later? No, it was later on. I was a grown-up, but then I felt like I was a student a film of something and suddenly you're face to face with something like that and it's you don't really have a concept of the idea of that being a possibility in film then you go man there's so much that this thing can do there's so much this medium can do that I was just blown away by so yeah I mean it was an adult life but then it just made me feel like I've got to read up just find out more it made me want to know more yeah I really love that you have that rebirth later on. You have all these different stages, don't you, where you learn about film from when you're a tiny child watching TV to your first trip to the cinema to then, yeah, becoming really able to choose what you love rather than just kind of going on what your peers were watching. What were the sort of films that you grew up on as a kid in your hometown? It's just standard film that we all loved and teenage films, all the Spielberg stuff. And occasionally you'd find yourself in the cinema and you'd watch... The poet society or something in the sort of it's like in that place in that sort of area that time and you go oh again a little bit like a fast bendery type thing you're going okay so you've got one guy he does one thing really well he can know how to emotionally guide you through something and then there's another type of film out there 
that you sort of go that it's a discovery and it sort of veers away from something sort of traditional filmmaking but the thing that rings out for me the most I think and it's a lesson cinema and I remember seeing my beautiful laundrette on tv and I remember that when I was very young going what's going on now like what's happening like this is not et this is something again which is in that sort of world i think i was always seeking that stuff out really and that made an impression on me this idea that you can just tell all these different types of stories and they're slightly unfinished or something they're incomplete in that how they're presented but their unfinishedness and their unpresentedness whatever makes them beautiful in a way and i, I think i was always seeking that stuff out. but i also love the other stuff but there was always something in me was going, oh, there's all, there's this over here, which is really good that not many people are looking at. I was doing National Youth Theatre and Hanif Qureshi was sat in the foyer. I was 18, 19, sort of like my first being in the theatre, like a young person in the theatre, and he was sat there. And we sat down and had a really short but very profound conversation. Profound for me, less so for him, probably. But it was just this thing of the film as well. It was touching on these quite complex, profound issues. But it was there was there was a lot going on underneath the surface of that film. And I sort of felt the conversation I had with him at that time, it was just chatting about experiences of good uncles and bad uncles and relatives and the uncles that sort of drink and the uncles that don't drink and the pretense of having to show stuff to your your family or your wider circle or what you know all that sort of stuff and I just remember that at an age of 18 19 just blowing my mind a little bit that knowing that that existed but but not realizing that you could narrativize it in a way you know what I mean not knowing that you could make it into like a, a film and so then again it was like oh well, you can do anything with this you can like Tell any story you want. And I can be in it as well, which is another good thing. So it's interesting hearing you were in youth theatre. Yeah. Of course, you, you talked about opening your eyes in terms of the films that you can see on screen. But was acting always something that you wanted to do? Because, of course, there's also this career aspect that's going alongside it. Do you, do you think there was something you really wanted to do someday as a kid? Yeah. I just remember not being very good at school and I didn't get very good grades. and. My dad was pushing me towards doing law, even though I got really mediocre grades, which meant I would have gone to an all right university and probably been not a very good lawyer. He, he was saying, you've got to do that. But I just remember the first time with my f friends at school, people that weren't really good at anything else apart from doing plays, putting stuff up. And we had this little theatre in our school, which was basically a, a tiny classroom with a couple of chairs in it with a few special lights. And we put on little plays there. And I just remember the feeling, it's sort of similar to the feeling I, I still get, this idea that there's a real communion between you and the audience and hopefully you're all learning something together. And then people were saying that I was good at it as well, which is the first time anybody said that I was good at, like, you know, I was terrible at the school and the sport, you know, sports and everything. So it was like something I could do well and was good at. I'm trying to think back through your roles. Have you ever played a lawyer? Were there any chance where you could say, Dad, I kind of made it? Yeah, I played a lawyer in a TV show called Apple Tree Yard. I was sat at the back because it was all barristers at the front. So my role was just basically to sit at the back and occasionally look up and take the odd note. <laughs> <laughs> but I did tell him, yeah, I said, I did it. Look, I'm a, I'm a, 
playing a solicitor in this in this TV drama. So yeah, I love hearing about the the films that kind of inspired you and changed your life, changed your path, etc. I was thinking about Four Lions must have done so much, not only for your career path, but also for people watching who saw themselves represented on the screen. Yeah. So tell me first of all about how Four Lions changed your life. So Four Lions happened at a time where I wasn't acting loads. So this opportunity came up. I just remember Chris being involved in it and Riz being attached to it and going, I've got to do this. But the actual like remembering of it, I was so panicked. <laughs> I was so nervous that it just blinked and it was done because there was like a real sort of energy on the set of going, we're doing this. Every moment was like, are we really going to say this? You know what I mean? And we're like, yeah, yeah, that's that's happening. This is what's going to happen. And I just remember that being, and it just, that was the energy that sort of pushed us through, pushed me through the whole film. I can't really remember specific moments as such, but it was like a fever dream, almost like just getting through it. But then, from that point on, I don't know, that's when I think there was a slight change in, I was getting to see more people, and I was getting more auditions, and so that was, a, that was a change in my career. So Four Lions was how many of us were introduced to you, and still a, a comedy at heart. And I'd like to know, because you, you pick a Fassbinder film as your film to show, while Fassbinder does have his dryly humorous moments, it is quite a hardcore art house film. Yeah. I wonder when you're approaching acting as a profession and the films or TV shows you want to be in, do you have a genre in mind, considering you go all the way from comedy to heightened genre pieces like Utopia or Sweet Tooth and drama in between as well. Do you delineate between all those things or is it just whatever comes your way and what excites you? As we're talking about it, maybe like the through line is a little bit like my beautiful laundretty world and fastbendery world and the idea that you can do lots of things and I feel safe in that. I feel safe in that thought and I feel comfortable in that thought. When I feel I have to decide on what kind of actor I am and what kind of things that I want to pursue then I end up doing a very good job and also I end up getting slightly panicked about it even doing this thing at the moment it's pretty heavy going but there's this thing that you learn with comedy where you can lighten the drama a little bit which suddenly lets people lean in a bit more than they would ordinarily and I've just finished Back to Life which was written by Daisy Haggard there's a thing where you can weave these really moving quite weighty issues within the context of a comedy and we're in that world now like when we were looking at four lines back then that was one of the first ones to do it you know push the envelope but now we're kind of people are unafraid of doing that now and it's kind of exciting to to know that you could just do lots of different things and not have to decide on on one particular route you know just going back to Four Lines for a second, do you remember seeing that with an audience in the cinema for the first time? Did you have yeah. a prep? Tell me about that, because that must have been the most electric thing ever. It was crazy. So we were up north and we were doing kind of... The other fellas, because they were the, the Four Lions, they were doing like a proper tour thing, I think. And then there was a Sundance thing and stuff. And I went up to a couple of them and a couple in London. And the couple up north that I went up to, it was a cinema, like a really massive cinema full of all young Asian kids. And it was just wild. Like their reaction to it was so positive and they found it so funny. 
And I found that very moving, this idea, because I think it's like way back when, when you turn on the TV and you turn on the... I think every Asian sort of says this. I always hear like this story that every Asian says where they turn on TV and there's an Asian on TV and they're like, Mum, Dad, come and have a look. Every time there's a Sikh on, sta- on yeah, screen, yeah. I'm like, Dad, there's a Sikh, Sikh quick! Yeah, yeah still, <laughs> people still do it. But that was like en masse. And that was like in 2010, years ago. So that felt really amazing to be a part of to be a part of that that's very very cool because with four lines that's something that i didn't get to see in the cinema and it's one of those ones i've all really wished that i had do you have that with any films where you've ended up seeing it on a smaller screen and go that should have been a cinema experience so i took a sneaky peek of ali and ava the clio barnard film it was in on a smaller screen i just thought to myself because she does a lot of stuff in bradford and the sort of surrounding area and there's some really beautiful big expansive visual scenes i remember her saying that you have to see it in the cinema and i was like oh it's all right i just want to sort of see it and sort of understand but the reason why you have to see it in the cinema is so difficult to explain and so hard to articulate but you get it when you see it when you see something in the cinema that is made for film it's the only way that that story could be told in that in that way. You know what I mean? And there's sort of like this really magical inarticulacy with it. Like I can't really describe what, what it is. But she just said, yeah, you have to see it on the cinema. And I was like, oh, it's all right. And I go, oh, yeah, I get it. You know? <laughs> can't wait to see that. I love her work. But to almost flip that question on its head. So I'm very jealous of the people who got to see Four Lions in the cinema, similar to Rihanna. What's a film you, you saw in the cinema and you and you can brag about it? You're so glad you saw it there. So I saw Daddy Longlegs, which is this... What are those? You know Safdie Brothers? Safdie Brothers, yeah. I was in New York at the time and I remember seeing Daddy Longlegs, a time when there was this whole mumblecore movement of films. And Andrew Bajowski, on that contingent of like filmmakers, and you'd just go to when you heard it was it was coming out, you'd just go to the Angelica or Sunrise, wherever. And that run of films at that time, the mumblecorey films that I got to see. Yeah, that's like early two thousands, mid two thousands, like mutual appreciation, funny, ha ha. They're the Bajowski ones, aren't they? Lynn Shelton, yeah. Duplass Brothers, and yeah, Daddy Longlegs. That that film didn't even come out in the UK and it's got that amazing bit where it's the lead character at the end walking around Manhattan with is it like a fridge on his back yes and this this deadbeat character you've been watching all the way through the film who was actually the Safdie (laughs) brothers dad that was based on Mm -hmm. that's why it's daddy long so it was actually heartbreaking as well because you see this guy trying to look after these kids and getting it horribly wrong and then you just imagine, like, well, these these two amazing film directors came from this quite dysfunctional background, but ended up making beautiful films. Yeah, so was this at a time when you were studying out in New York? Because you went to the Actors Studio Drama School, which is yeah. quite a hardcore programme, I hear. Yeah, yeah, it's all quite methody. And you're sort of doing coffee cup exercises where you have to hold an imaginary coffee cup, you know, feel the heat off it and drink, and that lasted ages just like just get a normal <laughs> coffee cup and drink it, you know so that's kind of that's so that's so funny considering that's something that so many shows get wrong when people hold yeah, coffee cups yeah, and true. they're always just empty a, or cold get, or whatever yeah just get a coffee cup fill it up with coffee 
and just smell it as if it's coffee because it is. Do you know what I mean? We don't have to spend weeks and weeks doing it. But saying that, look, it was it was also very good because it gave you permission to engage your imaginative sense of things, which is really helpful when you've got like maybe a small part somewhere and it's like you really want to invest it with something. And so it gives you the the opportunity to really envelop yourselves in the, in the character. But there are lots of things that they just like, like the coffee cup and loads of things that it's just like, oh, we could get there a bit quicker. But I'm glad I did it. Yeah, I mean, the Actors Studio drama school inspired by the Actors Studio has that That's legacy it. going all the way back. You know, Brando, Stella Adler, Stanislavski. Uh, who are your acting idols, if you have any? Because there's quite a legacy there already. Yeah, it's never like any one person. It's just a, a combination of lots of people and sometimes in different roles. Sometimes I see them in some roles and it's like, yeah, they're good. And there's other people I've seen someone else and they're sort of outstanding. The only answer I can really give, just because I suppose I always want those people to surprise me. If I had to pick one, I just I might say Philip Seymour Hoffman was like a guy that I you could always tur- you could always look at and go, he's always gonna felt safe in his his hands whenever he was on screen. Yeah, maybe if that if I, at a push, but there's so many that I really love and admire that it's difficult. I was looking at some of the kind of films that I sort of did end up seeing at the cinema with you in and The Big yeah. Sick was one of them yeah. and that was such a special cinema experience for me because I I almost I, it almost has quite an indie feel somehow and I went in ex- and I didn't know what to expect and it was just such a joyous lovely experience seeing that in the cinema everyone was laughing and again just for me personally seeing people of different ethnicities yeah. having a relationship was really cool and it was funny um, and they were and just it was interacting so funny. yeah so like when you come across a script like that are you immediately aware of the sort of impact it might have or do you sort of read every script hoping it'll have that impact i i don't know it's a little bit like i want to you know when i was when we were just talking there about cinema and that cinema is the only medium that this thing can be done in when when Clive says you've got to watch that film, you've got to watch this film on a big screen. And you go, oh, I get it. Why it's on the... It's a little bit like that when you read a script as well. There's this sort of like feeling of going. You read something on the page, and you you know you're reading, so you go, oh, okay, well I read a book, so I read poems. There's something when you read a script where you go, oh, this can only be done on in this medium in this way, because it's just the way that 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 would work. And and I remember feeling that about the big sick. And then it went beyond my expectations because it was such a beautiful story anyway and so heartfelt. But then would to, maybe it was a Judd Apatow we He doesn't have a Y at the end of his name. Just, but a Judd Apatow kind of world and Kamel Nanjani type of world of comedy, like American comedy. But they still hit all the points. of It was quite emotionally engaging but at the same time it had this quite hopeful ending it had this thing of going it had this touch which is in the vein of like that traditional american indie type feel i feel like if we got that script here it would just be a different type of indie film it might might be a little bit i don't know what the thing was but what they did there they did it so well and did it so on point that you didn't feel that they sacrificed in the story in any way by making it kind of light and hopeful. But I just, yeah, I remember reading the script and thinking, yeah, this is, is going to make a great film. 
I'm always really fascinated by our guests who have lived in the UK, but then gone abroad for study or for, for work and asking about the differences in the cinema experience because audiences in different countries respond differently. So what is different about an audience at, say, the you mentioned the Angelica and places in New York compared to your bog standard cinema here in the UK? Cinema audiences in the UK are generally quite similar, I would say, in in a sense that they sort of enter a space, they sit down and they wait for the thing to start and they sort of entertain and, or not entertain or they think of whatever film that they're, they're watching. And I just remember the different parts of Manhattan, you would have really different reactions to whatever you were, you were watching. So say if you were on the Upper East Side, you used to get these quite older people who didn't who had quite a lot of time on their hands and would be very vocal about everything including their domestic stuff they, they would get into massive arguments you know and it was like that was one thing and then you'd have the angelic and the sunrise world where you would maybe even find yourself in a conversation with some people like say if, especially if it was a Q&A and it was like it felt like a real community of cinemari people who were just there for the love of the, love of it i suppose in america they're kind of more vocal i would say a, a massive generalization whereas we like sit in the cinema and we again a massive generalization we see what we see and we sort of take it home with us and maybe think about it and then talk about it a bit later but there's more of an immediacy to their reactions there where it's like, let's chat about this or, I don't know, you know, there's like a immediate reaction to what's going on. Yeah, I, I immediately flash back to seeing, I think it's The, the Dark Knight on one of the big multi-screen cinemas on 42nd Street. And uh, like that was, it was audience participation from the yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. And it Very different carries... sort of film, different audience, yeah. Yeah, but it carries you along with it as well. You know, you sort of feel like you just, yeah, it's it sort of, it's contagious, isn't it? That when it suddenly mm. it happens in one minute, you're like, yeah, this is amazing. So to wrap up, film is Fear Eats the Soul by Fassbinder. The cinema, our glamorous producer has just sent us a picture of Cinema Paradiso in uh, Wanaka, New Zealand. It That's looks gorgeous. I went there with the kids as well. So it was like... Ah. So it was kind of one of them ones where I was just looking at their faces, looking at the screen sort of thing while they were sat in this yellow cab. So you mentioned taking kids to see films. So I'm quite a nerd and some yeah. of my nerd friends can't wait to indoctrinate their kids into their, their pop culture tastes. I'm taking it quite easy with my two-year-old. He's a bit young. But uh, <laughs> right, and, yeah. a, a, any tips for getting kids into films or what their tastes are? I think that I've, I'm realising that they teach me what's good about stuff you know what I mean it's like this it's, I think so I've just done this thing on, on Netflix and it's called Sweet Tooth I'm appreciating now the levels of stories that can be told where like adults can enjoy it and also kids can enjoy it as well and how difficult that is that's what Arlo and Ezra sort of taught me really they sort of like teaching me that this is there's a there's a level of appreciation to this thing, you know, cinema and everything that can be democratised a little bit. And and I think that's sort of looping back to like, sort of my beautiful laundrette. And I think that's the feeling I, I got from that. It's like, this is for everyone and everyone is able to tell this story. And I just like the fact that it's an expansive sort of art form that brings everyone in. 
And weirdly, like even though I did the theory to sewing, the fast bender thing, that seems like a very art housey thing. But in essence, I feel like that's what it is. It's challenging and making people broaden their understanding of what they, they like and they can appreciate. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. But the final question is often the most controversial and divisive one. What are we eating and drinking when we're in the screen? Are you a fan of a cinema snack? I am. I, I went to this one cinema and they did finger food. And lady kept on coming around and asking me if I wanted to drink anything. But it was like Odeon Lounge or something. And it was like you could actually just lounge there and eat food and drink. But th- th- this is quite telling. I can't remember what I was watching. <laughs> so I don't know. I just had a really good night out. But, <laughs> like, I was having dinner in the cinema. But I can't remember the film. Maybe we should all just do Food that doesn't make much noise. Is marshmallows that, that's and that's it. it. Marshmallows. Yeah, there we are. Yeah. Yeah. Not very loud food. Not very loud food. Okay, so that is one final wrap-up. Fear Eats the Soul. Cinema Paradiso. We're all going to New Zealand. Thank you, Adil. Oh. <laughs> what a deal, I'm dollar. sure our budget can stretch to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the, the quietest food imaginable, maybe some marshmallows. That's marshmallows. absolutely wonderful. I can't wait yeah. for that evening at the pictures. Wrapped, wrapped <laughs> Thank violently. you so much, Adil. Yeah, nice job, Thank you. Cheers, that was brilliant. Cheers. Love Thank that. You. Thanks. The very lovely Adil Akhtar. That was such a nice chat. He's such a cool guy. And also, he's very generous. I feel like he laughed at all of our jokes, which, you know. <laughs> Five star <laughs> guest right does. there. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my favourite bits was just hearing him talk with such like love and care about the script for The Big Sick. Because I think that's like quite an important film to a lot of people. And it's just really lovely to know that it meant a lot when that script came across his desk and how big a deal it was for him as well. Absolutely. And you know, I love hearing about it when some of our guests study abroad or work abroad. I do know how you love that. It's like your favourite thing. So all of that New York City chat. So if he was studying at the actor's studio on that programme, one of the perks of being on that programme is you get to sit in on all these workshops by famous filmmakers and actors that they turn into the TV series inside the actor's studio. So I'm going to try and run the dates, maybe go back to <laughs> early <laughs> mid-2000s and see if we can spot a deal in the uh, in the audience of any of those, oh <laughs> those episodes. I absolutely love that your nerdiness knows no bounds. It's incredible. <laughs> and and we, we should be grateful to a deal for, for expanding our horizons in terms of the cinemas we're talking about. That cinema in New Zealand looks incredible. That's going straight on my to-visit list. Of course he pulled out one that has like a car instead of seats. It's just, I just love him. If you enjoyed that conversation and you want to hear more dream cinema trips, just check back in our feed to hear from our previous guests and make sure you're subscribed to the show to get the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. This is my cinema as a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen. 